When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Connects, encouraging kids of all ages to think outside the blocks. Now, more and more dads want to be involved in their children's development, but sometimes it can be hard to find guidance and support. Being a hands-on dad myself, I want to help create an aspirational image of fatherhood that we can all strive for through the variety of guests that we have on the show and their journey through parenthood. So let's talk, let's laugh, and let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today's guest was announced by the Royal Television Society as its first ever ambassador for the prestigious RTS Bursary Schemes, which support students in the field of broadcasting and entertainment. He is also an RTS-nominated broadcast journalist and digital senior reporter for BBC News. Please welcome to the Avengers, Ashley John Baptiste. Hello, what's going on? So good to be here. Dude, I'm so glad that you could join us here and join the Dadvenger ranks, as it were. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm so excited um, to chat with you. Like you've been such a great voice in the dad sphere as I've become a new dad. Dude, this is it. You're your brand new dad, right? When when did it all happen? So my daughter Zoe, she's nine months old and she was born under the first lockdown. Can you imagine? I'm a lockdown dad. She's a lockdown baby. Born on the same day as Boris Johnson's son. You can make what you will wow. have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it, it was under lockdown. And here we are as we're talking. It's the third lockdown. So that's basically what Zoe knows so far. Let's touch base on that straight away. I mean, was it touch and go for you to be able to be there for the birth? Yeah, it was. I mean, we were getting different messages as the weeks progressed. Now, Zoe was her her date was May. Her due date was our due date was May, but um, obviously she was born early. So when my wife went into labour, we didn't know the deal. We just didn't know what was you know what, what I could do as a dad. Um, but you know, if you want if you want the sort of you know the the, the summary of what happened, my wife's labour began at around three a.m. on the 29th of April and got to the hospital and they told me to wait in the reception area. Now, we thought that, you know, it was going to be a long while before I had to go up and support her. But what happened is that the moment I went downstairs, her waters broke in the foyer area. And so Whoa. I went, it was nuts. 
I went downstairs, <laughs> got a call being told, can you come up? Her water's broke. So I went back up and she began to give birth. And within three hours of us getting to the hospital, Zoe was born, which was just the whirlwind because, you know, dads will know, you know, that you're told conventionally that your first child normally, you know, the labor will be quite long. But in our case, it was super quick. It was super quick. <laughs> and, you know, it was amazing as it is, you know, for all dads seeing your child kind of be delivered into into the earth realm (laughs) and it got to midday and they told me that I had to go home um which was bittersweet obviously I I respected the rules I understood that I wouldn't just be able to be there for the whole day what was fortunate for us is that my wife was able to um leave the hospital about 8 to 10 p.m that evening so, you know, eight hours or so not being present, not being able to be in the hospital. But it was, it, you know, it was shockingly easy going for us. And we're very fortunate. The NHS were incredible. Every worker that I met, I was just so besotted and grateful, especially because of COVID. But yeah, it was, it was tough not being able to, you know, just be around the whole time. Yeah. You know, had it been a lot longer, I imagine I would have been more frustrated, you know, the sense of you know, not knowing what was going on, how, you know, my wife was feeling. But yeah, it, you know, I I suppose for every dad who's um, experienced having a baby under lockdown, it's, it's not easy. No, it definitely can't be an easy thing. Like you said, you were lucky and I'm happy that your experience was good. Some people haven't been allowed into birthing rooms. Sometimes mums have had to stay in hospitals for days without their partners. Uh, And then sometimes babies have had to stay in hospital and both parents haven't been allowed in the hospital and they've had to go home. So I'm really happy that you had a relatively smooth ride, as it were. What well, I should have told you, right? <laughs> it was around 3am that my missus woke me up to say, I think I'm going to go into labour, right? My reaction was, I froze. I couldn't think. I couldn't string a sentence together. I put on one sock <laughs> randomly as if to say, all right, babe, let's do this. And then I took the sock off and then I said, oh, I'm just going to have a shower. <laughs> it, it was appalling. It was, my response was terrible. And we still joke now how I just didn't know what to do. And I suppose even, you know, I went in the shower, left the shower, realized that was a really dumb response. So the whole thing was really on an emotional level, just very discombobulating. I, you know, I when she was, you know, born, oh my God, that feeling, I mean... It was overwhelming, the joy, the elation. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And even now, like, I'll see her and I'll go back to when she was born. And it is nuts to think how much she's grown in nine months. And honestly, like, she's incredible. She is the best thing ever. Um, she, you know, as most dads will be able to agree with, she gives your life so much more meaning and purpose. And yeah, I'm certainly a better person because of it. It's life-changing and people can tell you in the lead up, you're going to change, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. You'll see when you're a parent, you'll see when you're a dad. But until it actually happens, and there'll, there'll be people listening going, yeah, whatever, whatever. But when it happens, you know about it. For sure. Even like little things, like I, you know, I'd have mates who used to post photos of their children on Instagram I think to myself, man, that is so annoying. Like every other day they've got like literally another photo of the same person looking exactly the same, looking super cute. But do you know what? I am that dad. She's beginning to clap. I insta-storied that. When she started smiling, that was a boomerang. 
You know, every little thing, I'm documenting it on social media. Not Twitter, but Instagram. I, I've got a rule about Twitter, but definitely on Instagram. Um, it's quite pathetic, I suppose. It's not pathetic, mate. Um, it, you're celebrating one of the loves of your life. It's not pathetic. It's a good thing. You mentioned when you uh, realised that um, your partner was going into labour, mm. that you put one sock on. You, you kind of went into a bit of shock. I did, yeah. And you, you didn't know what to do. Had you been studying up on what to do as a father or, or, or did you just think that you'd be able to take it in your stride? What was the deal for you? Yeah, I was, I was reading books. Um, the classes that you go to, um, a lot of them were cancelled because of lockdown. But um, yeah, I, you know, I was reading books, what to do. It was funny. I had a bag of um, fairy lights, candles. I had Alexa the the echo so that we would have like I had all this stuff and I couldn't find anything. I don't know oh, that one. Oh no, that was Alexa. <laughs> Alexa heard me and now she's Alexa turned them in. Pipe down Alexa. <laughs> Sorry. Oh god. Sure. The bag wasn't ready then. My brain was like so mushy and I got there was like excitement, shock anxiety, fear, like all of those emotions, right? Like my life was about to change and I was processing that. And, and you know, I think every bloke wants to be there for his partner, for their partner. Um, and, you know, as much as I had that, there was also a little boy. There was also a kid who was quite scared and quite, I suppose, overwhelmed with the imminent reality. And then there are the questions, you, your mind goes everywhere, doesn't it? There's the questions of, is this going to go okay? Is it going to go smoothly? Um, so it was a lot, it was a lot. But um, we got there in the end, I somehow managed to grab all the necessities. And, you know, we made our way to the hospital. But um, yeah, it, you know, nothing can prepare you for that moment of, you know, hearing that your missus thinks she's about to go in labour. And all, all the things I read just weren't at the fore of my thinking when she told me that. You mentioned there that there was the little boy in you that was also reacting to the situation. Tell me about that little boy, because what was your situation growing up? Yeah, well, I grew up in foster care, right? So this for me was like, at one point in my life, the thought of being a dad was unimaginable, right? I like, I was, I lived in five different homes. I lived in four foster homes and a care home. I didn't know my dad growing up. I didn't meet my mum until I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. Like I had a real void in terms of family. And even my foster families, you know, they shunted and they moved me on. And so, and at one point I lived in a care home where there were no consistent adults, but just shift workers. So for me, the concept of family as a boy, as a, as a kid, family was quite a... Uh, a dark thing. It was intimidating. It was it was triggering. It triggered trauma. It triggered rejection. Um, family wasn't what it is for many people. And so in that moment of confronting the reality that I'm about to become a dad, one of the thoughts I had is, I really hope that I'm not like my dad, you know, not present, not there, you know, and that you can't, you can't escape. You can't escape the shadow of an absent father when you become a father. And so it it very much was a part of that moment of chaos and excitement and everything else. Did it scare you? It did scare me. It did scare me. And it still scares me. Like I look at Zoe and I, you know, I, I, I see how she looks at me. I see how she 
is like so in awe and feels so safe. And she almost, you know, I'm her hero, Anna. Like, Dad, I mean, this is called Dad Ventures. We are heroes to our children and they have the expectation of us. And, you know, I sometimes... I I see that in her eyes when she looks at me that expectation and it scares me because I can't I can't necessarily say why but I suppose there is some level of me that is scared that I will not measure up and that you know growing up without a solid family I question did I you know do I have the right foundations to be what that is supposed to be I don't have that blueprint I don't have that role model so I question how do I then be that to my daughter but then I remind myself that I, I'm not going to be a reflection of what I went through I don't have to be you know part of that narrative I do get to determine where I go and how I live and the choices I make and I look at the wealth of community that I now have and I get a reassurance that do you know what yeah I'm cut out for this but that's that's a that's an internal dialogue that I think a lot a lot of dads have yeah, definitely it's a, an internal dialogue, especially when you've come out of the care system or you've got an absent father. I've seen you on Instagram. I've seen the way you are with Zoe. Where did you learn? What did you see growing up or now that has influenced the way you parent as a father? Yeah. Well, I've, you know, as as tough as growing up in care may have been at times, like I was fortunate to have role models at pivotal moments. And I've always been a student of life and without trying to sound super worthy or deep, like I feel like you can learn from life, whether it was, I remember like being at a mate's house and just seeing his family and like, I'd always go over to his and I'd see the dynamic of his family. And it was the most inspiring thing. And I'd never tell him this and, you know, that'd be super awkward, but, but you just pick up things, you pick up behaviors and, and those things become precedents and points of inspiration in your own life and your journey. And I think as as well as positive people and role models, I've also learned from the negative stuff. Like I've learned what not to be and how not to act. And and also I think a lot of it is just so instinctive, right? Like I look at Zoe and I see her and I'm like, how can I not feel completely committed and in love and just sort of who she is? Like she's the most incredible person human being and it would be almost inhuman to not want to love her you mentioned you've seen the positives and you've seen the negatives if you don't mind can you tell me what negatives you remember that were probably the biggest ones that showed you i'm never going to be like that i'm i'm cut from a different cloth talking about my dad for example i didn't meet him until i was in my mid-20s so not even not even five years ago you know it's been less than five years but, you know, the stories I've heard, when you're in care, you have records. So essentially, like, reports that document your childhood. And I knew that he abused my mum, for example. That was physically mm. and emotionally. And it gets very, very sensitive. And he was very abusive to, to my mum. And I would determine that I don't want to be like that. That's not who I am. I lived in a foster home, I remember, where I was called a mistake. And... I will never forget the moment of being called a mistake. So there are really brutal moments that I've had to, you know, encounter, process, deal with. And one of the biggest ways of kind of using that as fuel is to determine I don't want to be like that. I don't want to speak that stuff yeah. over my kid. I don't want to create that sort of culture. I don't want to be abusive. I don't want to, I, I just, that's not my, you know, that's not who I am. You see it, 
it's a part of me in that it's, you know, people connected to me. But that doesn't mean I have to be like that. And sometimes it's not even the the really like extreme stuff. It's the, all right, so I'm in a home now where I'm being moved on or I'm seeing a model that is unhealthy and just saying, this is not what I want for my life and kind of consciously, you know, building towards something more positive. Yeah, totally. You've, you've, you've done amazingly to come from what you were living in and the situation that you were in before to where you are now. I mean, props to you, mate. Props to you. Thank you. There's another thing you mentioned that I I want to touch upon about, you know, seeing your mate's um, family and being inspired by that. And you said you wouldn't um, tell him because it would be awkward. I don't think that would be awkward. For any family to hear that your family, the family you live in, inspires them, I think that's something to be proud of. It's a very good point. Who knows, maybe when I've become a bit more mature, I'll, I'll just be like, hey, bro, here's, here's a deal. More than just the banter we've had, you've really helped me. Um, no, it's true. I suppose, you know, if I'm being completely honest with you, even now, as much as I, you know, love the little family that I've got and I love my community, like I've got a wicked community of friends and family and whatnot, um, there's still a level of vulnerability and insecurity when it comes to family. It would be a lie for me to say I've got, you know, Instagram can be quite misleading, can't it? Because I do post a lot and it is very much authentic snaps of my life. But equally, you know, family is something that is vulnerable to me. It's something that I still get insecure about. You know, you don't graduate from feeling rejected in a foster home. You don't graduate from growing up without a father or a mother. And so that stuff still has residue in my life. There are still wounds. And I suppose part of my job as a dad is is to go on that process of honesty, you know, with where I'm at in life and and and, you know, committing to growth so that I can be the best dad that I can be. And I know I, I am comfortable in, in who I am. I'm comfortable in sort of the space I occupy in life. And I genuinely think I'm a good dad. But I'm also mindful that I want to be better. Not not in an unhealthy, competitive, I want to be perfect type way. But it's more of a, hey, like, I want to, I want to be healthy. And I feel like health internally is a pursuit like I don't think you've ever arrived at being the most healthy version of yourself and so as a dad I certainly want to pursue that for for Zoe and as a husband as well. It's funny you say that because what you've just put together in that little um, sentence that you said there is exactly what dad vengeance is about because it's about dads they're the focus but parents in general growing and becoming the parents we want to be slowly learning more, slowly getting better, slowly sharing things with each other so that we become a network of parents, a group of parents that are all striving for the best thing, which is for our kids to have the opportunities, to have the experiences, to have the support, to, you know, all the things that we want for our kids. I love that. I love that. It's so heartwarming to hear because, you know, as I say, I don't have that blueprint of fatherhood in the way that some other people might. And I feel like many people will feel like me, even if they have lived with their dad, they'll feel that their dad may not have been the blueprint that they, you know, wanted for life and for growing up. And I feel like what an opportunity to be able to like, have this sort of resource and more than that, people and network to be able to grow. And I, I love the fact that, um, 
you know, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who I get to be honest with and I'm, I'm really grateful for them because it is not easy. It's not easy being a dad. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. What I want to know is how much does Joanna, your partner, support you in being the dad you want to be? Because I think that must be really important having the background you have. She's amazing. Like she is, she is so amazing. She's very pastoral, I would say. So, uh, you know, she's a teacher and she has a real gift for dealing with what, you know, some professionals would call hard to reach kids. She's got a real knack for engaging with them quite uniquely. Um, and she kind of has that at home with me. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that those are, those are things that she will have aided in your communication with each other. And we are very imperfect. We, uh, we, you know, yeah, we argue. Lockdown's not been easy. Like at times we've had to really exercise self-control. Like it's, it's not been easy. I don't want to give that impression, but she is incredible. She's very good at pacifying tense moments. Like I think there is almost like a sixth sense to, to like my internal world. Like she just gets me. So, you know, even like, she had her family, by my estimations, you know, it's a very healthy family. She's born like in the same house that she grew up in. Her parents go for really idyllic walks like on the weekend. It's just very like this, you know, her parents are um, retired, but they're still very much in love and they've been together like all of Joe's life. And that can be almost for someone like me really intimidating. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're just super perfect. They don't argue in an intense way. They have disagreements, but they talk it through in a very sensitive and respectful way. And, you know, I've come from a very different background of trauma. What I'm trying to say is that if I'm around them and, I, and she can sense that I'm feeling a bit inadequate or a bit, you know, just off, she just has a way of dispelling that and dealing with it. And she'll never say anything. Like, she'll never like be like, oh, did you feel like this? Because I could tell because you did this or your face was like that. There's none of that. She never articulates it. It's just the very knowing. Yeah. She's just, she's a really good encourager. Very emotionally aware and able to steer situations without even people knowing that they're being steered. Yeah, I do feel like I don't deserve her. Like, I really do. Look, she's got her issues as well. And, you know, hopefully there are times where I can support her. But, you know, she's... I think it takes a lot to it takes a lot to um to support someone who is dealing with trauma, especially as that trauma can manifest itself in parenting, you know? Yeah. Like even even when Zoe goes over to her grandparents, because they live fairly near us and they're part of our support bubble during lockdown, sometimes there's a sense of, oh, like we we can feel like her parents are almost outshining us as parents because they're so experienced and, you know, they've, and a lot of this is an internal just paranoia that I probably have, right? Yeah. But even there, it's like, she's so reassuring. She's reassuring. And yeah, she's just incredible. And I, you know, I'm very grateful for her. That's amazing, dude. That's really, really amazing. Connecting with your kids is at the heart of what Dadvengers is about, which is why we're so happy to have Connects as our sponsor. Connects and Kid Connects have projects for all the family and they're the perfect activity for kids and adults to connect naturally through play, imagination and creativity. As you know, it gets really hectic once you get your first child. The schedule goes, goes a little bit out the window. You know, if you're used to working in a certain way, 
a baby comes along and it's like, whoa, hold on, where did the time go? It's hard. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it, but it's hard. I think um, lockdown's been lockdown's been tough on some level. Obviously, we all want to get out of this and we want normality. But I'd say for me, there's been a positive element to lockdown, which is that being at home, you know, for su- such a large amount of time has given me the chance to bond with Zoe. And, you know, she, even now she's nine months, but she is still up at 4 a.m. sometimes. She loves to be in the bed with us. So, you know, often... Two, three, four, five a.m. We're getting woken up, you know, to get her out of her cot and bring her into our bed. Had I had to do that and go into the office every day for eight or nine a.m., <laughs> I don't know how people did it in past times. Like, I'm so grateful for the chance to still be at home, and you know, go for the odd nap, nap during the day. But yeah, like it's it's tough. You know, we both work in broadcasting, and the biggest kind of pressure is when you haven't slept. And you have to go and perform and be a presenter, be a reporter. Yeah. That is hard. But look, we're, we're making it work somehow. And time will tell how well we're coping with this. I've still got my job yeah. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you still got your job. So that's a very good thing. I, I think you're so right in that there are massive positives from lockdown. And that is a huge one for fathers that being able to spend more time with our kids and see them and and bond with them, get to know them, watch them growing up. And part of me hopes that it continues after lockdown. As we come out of it, people need to remember that and and still be there for their kids. I think one thing that I've learned, and it's a quite recent thing, is I'm very purposeful. So I've always got to have a purpose behind what I'm doing. So, you know, if it's the evening, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to be intentional about when I'm watching telly or whatever. And what I've learned is that not having a purpose, but just being with Zoe, like just without any purpose, is probably one of the most meaningful things I can do. And lockdowns allowed me to learn that. Now, growing up, Mm. you didn't have one single, you know, the solitary male role model. Now you're living your life the way you are. How important do you feel having a male role model is? Because you've come from the product of not having one that's specifically there all the time, but you're doing well. Yet you would still, I'm assuming, think that it's very important to have a role model. It's so important. I was lucky, I say lucky, I would intentionally like have mentors. Even if we didn't have that official sort of title or agreement, I would I would put myself around people that I, you know, I found inspiring or found sort of, you know, people who allowed me to be better, you know, who helped me to become a better version of myself. In the care home I lived in, there was a man called Lyndon. Now, Lyndon was my key worker and he was a remarkable person, Um, you know, in that home. So I was around eight or nine years old when I lived in a children's home. And in that home, there were around eight to nine other boys who didn't go to school. Like none of them went to school. Um, And so I got to a stage where I didn't want to go to school. So I would tell my key worker, Lyndon, yeah, I'm not feeling school today. Like none of the other boys are going. Can I stay at home, play PlayStation, you know, kick a football outside, hang on the local council estate? Like that was very much my my mentality. Um, And Lyndon forced me to go to school. Like it was a real tough love relationship. And even if he wasn't working because he would work shifts, he would call up the office and make sure someone he was on shift, you know, was forcing me to go to school. And he was so persistent with this that eventually I would grow to want to go to school and it would become the norm. 
And so all these other boys wouldn't go to school in this home, but I just found, I'd, I'd look forward to school. And I left that home, didn't see Lyndon for well over a decade. Then I bumped into him on a high street in South London and I saw him instantly, recognised him, called out his name, ran over to him, and I was able to tell him about my life and, you know, how I'd gone to uni and how I'm at the BBC and all this stuff. And I said to him, Lyndon, if it wasn't for you forcing me to go to school as a, you know, dysfunctional, rebellious care kid, I wouldn't be here. Like, I just wouldn't be here. I could have ended up going to, you know, a special school or a pupil referral unit. I wouldn't have got the grades to move on, you know, the way I did. And so, you know, as you talk about male role models, he, like, whilst he wasn't a consistent father, there were people like Lyndon who like at really pivotal moments played a role. And I'm just so thankful for those people. And as I grew up, I would intentionally gravitate to those people who would help me. And also I'd have like YouTube mentors, like, you know, people who I admired from a distance and I would actively try and learn things. So I think it's important, it's pivotal. Like it's, you can't be what you can't see. Like you can't aspire to something that you don't have any sort of concept or, or model of and so I think it's really important yeah I like invaluable yeah no and I can tell by the way you speak about Lyndon the effect that he had on you and that's that's really good and really and truthfully he's probably the reason you you ended up going to Cambridge because I know you went to you know one of the best universities in the world mate <laughs> how did I get into Cambridge <laughs> you studied Lyndon Lyndon in instilled a work ethic in you. Absolutely. That is like the perfect way of phrasing it. He he taught me work ethic. You know, I don't want to get too deep into gender roles, but I do feel like a lot of the blokes in my life who are doing well, they often cite their dad as being the one who taught them work ethic. Equally, there are incredible mums who, you know, inspire you. You see the way they work. But, you know, for me, it was Lyndon. It was he, he, he taught me work ethic. And... And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that I was able to bump into him, um, you know, on, on that high street. And, and actually, he was with his daughter at the time and his daughter, like adult daughter. And I just said to her, I um, can't remember her name, but I just said, I want you to know that Lyndon changed my life. She got all teary and she, you know, and then as I walked off, I saw her just put her arm around his shoulder. And you just can't even begin to imagine what that meant for her to hear that from me and what it meant for him. Yeah. The thing is, right, you are now a Linden. I, I hope so. No, you're, you're more than that. I, I know you are because you're giving back. You talk to people who have gone through the care system. You provide, you know, your experience and talk to these people, kids, young people, and help them, hopefully, get to the place where you are. So you are a Linden. And at some point, somebody's going to run up to you in the street and say, Ashley... And when it, when it happens, right, the whole Linden thing's gonna come flooding back, everything's gonna come flooding back. You might be in bits on the high street, but that's the circle that you're part of. Do you know what? It's so nice to hear you say that. It is incredible that I get to, to speak to, you know, you mentioned people who are in care. And I think that's a really important part of what it means to be a father. Like it's not just your biological children. It's not just a biological role that you have to, you play. It's, I think it's one that you can have, even if you don't have a biological child. Like, I feel like in communities, we need fathers. Like, in our neighbourhoods, we need those men who are going to mentor and encourage and inspire and, 
and just care, right? Like just care for the youngsters. And um, so, so that aspect of fatherhood is certainly something that I consider to be important. Tell us a bit about the work you do do with people who are in care, have been in care. Yeah. So I'm really fortunate. Like I did a documentary in 2013, 2012, 2013 for the BBC about my life in care. It was a one hour special where I kind of went back into my past. What's the name of that documentary? Can we still find it? Yeah, it's online. It's called Care Home Kids Looking for Love. You know, I explore the care systems. I meet some of the people who looked after me. And I also spoke to policymakers and professionals. So this film did really well. And um, by virtue of it, I was I got so many invitations to share my story from schools, to local authorities, to fostering agencies, to do workshops with teachers and social workers about how they can engage with vulnerable looked after children. So I've been doing that alongside my broadcasting for, for a very long time. And I also, I also report on aspects of the care system. I'm always trying to find angles and issues about care that I can bring you know, to BBC platforms. And I've just, um, a couple of years ago, I launched a thing called Be Inspired. It's a one day event all about the aspirations of looked after children. So we have incredible speakers, performers, just a curated day that will inspire people in care to dream big for their futures. You must do this already, but if there was someone who is from a care history listening to this, who's going to be a dad, who might have some of the imposter syndrome, who might have some of the thoughts that you had when you were becoming a father, what would you say to them? What, what message would you like to give to them? I think accept that you're not perfect. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Just commit to the journey of being a dad. I think it's easy. You, you get to that point where a baby's born, you see your inadequacies or your perceived inadequacies, and you say, you look at the baby, you look at you and you think, oh my days, this, this doesn't work. Like I'm not good enough, they deserve better. But it's a journey. It's a journey. I think fatherhood's a journey. You're not the. You're not this sort of model father. You know, the moment a baby is born, and you can walk on that journey. And you can. I think it's so. You can be okay in your skin and say, well, you know, I want to be. It, from the very practical to the very emotionally intense stuff. Like, I want to get get up in the morning. I want to get up earlier in the mornings. I want to be more disciplined in the mornings. Like, you can commit to that process. Or it could be, I want to be a better listener. Or I want to be. Maybe you're not particularly um, interested in like, I don't know, kids programs and singing songs or what, I don't know what it is, but you can commit to the journey of being a more holistic dad. And it's OK yeah. if you don't you don't wake up being that person. I mean, I'm talking to Nigel Clark of CBeebies like he's <laughs> he's a legend, guys. He, like Zoe watches his show every morning. <laughs> <laughs> but but not everyone may be that and it's okay it's okay like it's about finding your groove and it's about just taking those small steps daily to you know being more supportive yeah i mean none of us are the perfected article we're all learning we're all winging it <laughs> we're, all, we're, we're all just literally bumbling through trying to do the best we can so if there is someone listening stick with it go you know you you have the potential to be the best dad you can be. I want to know a little bit about you. Outside of the care system, as a child, what kind of child were you? I loved music, but I didn't get into music until I was about 14. It was when I started producing. I started um, 
It was a music, I started producing. You've got beats, Ash. I had the beats, but I didn't have the bars right. So my mates would rap and I would make the beats for them. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't rap the same way some of these guys are rapping, but I can definitely yeah. make a couple. And I, like I, that was where I excelled. Um, I was quite good at athletics. I loved running, I loved long jump. Um, so athletics and creativity was really my thing. Um, but I got in a lot of trouble at school as well. So I I'm, I'm very embarrassed to say this, first expelled at seven, and then I had a string of suspensions. But, you know, part of that is connected to the trauma of growing up in care. 100%. Yeah, but, you know, in the mix of all of that, like I had some amazing, you know, childhood moments, but I was, you know, I was a wild kid for, for, for a while. You said you've got an aptitude for music, you liked music. Mm. Zoe, is she musically aware, is she? This is a songs? good question. So I absolutely love music. So I write, I play, but I still am very active in it. So I'm like, what is she gonna inherit? Like, I, I actually, I don't know. Like we sit with her on the piano and she'll try and hit a key. Um, but equally, she's super active, like physically active. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And also, of course, the, the intellectual thing, the Cambridge thing, like, is she going to be a bit of a bookworm? I suppose we'll see. But it is very exciting. The things that interest us, we generally find that our kids find little interest in them, especially if they're, you know, just like, oh, curious about them. Suddenly they, they want part of it. It's like, it's like that age old one of like, you're, you, as a parent, you're eating something and you know, if you'd given that to your child on their plate, they wouldn't have gone for it. But because it's on your plate and you're eating it, they're all about, oh, can I have a bit of that please? Yeah, like I'll, I'll sometimes just be like, I'll, I'm trying to write songs during lockdown and I'll like play a song and she would just see her light up and like instantly she would try and get over to where I am to like, just, I don't know, listen maybe or whatever. Um, so she gravitates towards stuff already, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Really, really amazing. Okay, there's a question that we ask everyone that comes on the Dad Vengers podcast. Hit me, hit me. Right, it is. If you could have a dad superpower, what would it be and why? Is this like a silly question or a deep? No, no, no. There's, there's no wrong answer to this. There's, this, this is just literally what, whatever you feel. I'll tell you what mine was when I first got asked. Mine was the power of empathy to be able to feel exactly what my child was feeling. Well, I think the power of never being tired is one. <laughs> um, yes. I, uh, that's going to be yeah. my answer, like to just not be tired and to get up at like 7am and be like, boom, let's go, Zoe. Yeah, no, definitely. I fully get that. I fully get that. Ashley, thank you so much for taking part. You are a true Dadvenger. Oh, yes, yes. I need a badge. You need to make a Dadvenger's badge. We're, we're getting on it. We're going to get on it. People will get sent badges when they have accomplished what you've accomplished. Mate, this was such a good chat. I loved it. Best chat. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. We'll see you soon, right? Totally. What a man. He's come from a place where the thought of being a father was unimaginable, dark and triggering, to now being a loving father who is embracing the journey. The fact that he didn't have biological parents that were present, yet life provided the lessons, role models and experiences he needed to gain the confidence to be a dad is something we all need to hear and remember. 
If you'd like to find out more about our Dadvengers community or you'd like to share anything with us, you can do so via the website, which is dadvengers.com. Or if you'd like to contact us via our Instagram or Facebook channels, you can do that too. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Dadvengers podcast sponsored by Connects, encouraging kids of all ages to think outside the blocks. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.